Can we just pray? Heavenly Father, I pray that you will bless your word and bless your servant this morning. Use me for your glory. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Reinhold Neighbor was a very well-known American theologian and professor at Union Theological Seminary for more than 30 years. And you may say, well, I don't know anything about Reinhold Neighbor. But maybe you do. Because he wrote a prayer in as early as 1934. It began its circulation and it goes something like this. I think you'll find it at least familiar. He wrote, God give me grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, courage to change the things which should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish one from the other. Neighbor recalls that his prayer was circulated by the United States Armed Forces, but in 1941, the prayer became more widely known after being brought to the attention of Alcoholics Anonymous by an early member. And they changed it a little, and here's how that famous prayer that's gone round the world reads today. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I love that prayer. We should all love that prayer because there is infinite sense in it, and it makes me reflect on change. And I see at least three core truths about change that I want to share with you, and then we'll get on around to talking about Easter. Here are the three. One, there are things we cannot stop from changing. You can't change your age. We'd like to try. 39 and holding is a myth. You'd like to try, but you can't change your age. We can't change the time of day. It is what it is. There are things we cannot stop from changing. Secondly, there are things we can change. There are few of them, believe it or not, that are of any significance. We can change our minds. They say it's a woman's prerogative. It's also a man's prerogative. We can change our clothes. I hope you do it often. Those of us who have hair can change our hairstyle. There are a few things we can change. Thirdly, there are things that we cannot change. For example, you can't change your parents. You can't change your DNA. You can't change your birth date. You can't change your birthplace. You can't change the time of tomorrow's sunrise or sunset. You can't change the weather. You can't change your history. You can't go back into your history and redo yesterday. In fact, you can't even get the last second back. Oh, look, that one is gone. Oh, 
There goes another one. It's gone. I snapped my... That's what I did in that second. Forever. Locked in again. That one is gone. So what does that have to do with Easter? Well, one of the very valid and helpful ways of looking at the Easter story, and especially the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is that the Easter story makes it very clear to us that it does not matter how much we may disagree with God, and no matter how much the world tries its best to do its worst to God, we cannot stop God from having his way. Humanly speaking, Jesus Christ was grossly outnumbered and greatly outgunned. The most powerful leaders in the world Jesus lived in simply hated him. He was enemy number one with both the government and religious leaders. They had a cushy little arrangement going on that enabled them to exploit the people And Jesus kept challenging their moral and spiritual right to exploit the people. So the religious leaders and the government leaders despised him. And humanly speaking, they had all the firepower. Humanly speaking, they held all the cards. They had armies with thousands of highly trained soldiers... And the help of a traitor from Jesus' own little band. Jesus had no army. And he was a man of peace. God permitted men to arrest him. Mutilate him. Mock him. And crown him with thorns. Then they finally threw him on a cross and crucified him. And he died. His friends buried him in a borrowed tomb behind a slab of heavy rock. Because the Romans feared that somebody would go into the tomb and steal the body, they posted a regimental guard of their most highly trained soldiers at the tomb. And really now, that should have been the end of everything Christian. Everything. You like statistics? I've got one for you. In all of history, whenever the government has executed a man or a woman, 100% of them have stayed dead. Except one. Jesus Christ. But on that Friday of the crucifixion of Christ, most people didn't expect him to rise from the dead. His disciples didn't expect him to rise from the dead. Do you know that? Not even his disciples expected him to rise from the dead. As a matter of fact, when the women came and said, they went with spices to anoint the body because Jewish burial is very, very uh, uh, ritualistic and, and rigorous. They bury the body. 
Then they go in and anoint the body because the body begins to smell. There's no embalming. They, 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 they anoint the body with, with spices to keep the smell down. Then they seal up the tomb, leave the body until uh, all of the flesh is gone. They take the bones then and they pack them together with the skull on the top. And they put them a year later in an ossuary, a little box. And they put it away upon a shelf in a tomb. So they were going back to continue the, the burial process. They went in, they said... They didn't expect the body to be gone. They didn't expect it. They went in, it was gone. They went back and said to the disciples, the 11 of them, Judas was nowhere to be seen, obviously. And and they went back and said to the 11, "He's, he's not in the tomb. And Peter said, in the reading this morning, they're talking nonsense. This crazy. And Peter went to look for himself. And he went back and he said, right, it's gone. Gone. And the Romans didn't expect him to rise from the dead, really. They crucified perhaps thousands of criminals and political enemies. Problem solved. They thought it was the same here. That as soon as they crucified Jesus, everything was over. Problem solved. He would never again preach his disturbing messages. The scriptures say that most of the disciples even ran away. Why? Here's why. Without Jesus, there's no point in staying around. In fact, without Jesus, it was dangerous to stay around. Why? Because Christianity could not survive after the death of Christ. See, Christianity is not about a way of life. Every other, this is, this is what distinguishes Christianity from every other world religion. Every single one. Every other world religion, every one of them are built to survive after the death of their founders. Every one of them. For example, Buddhism was founded by Buddha, but he died in the 5th century. Buddhism lived on. Muhammad, the founder of Islam, died in the 7th century. He founded Islam, and Islam lived on. It survived Muhammad. But these religions have a creed to live by, actions to perform, principles to live by. And by following these principles, you will achieve peace in this life and in the next, according to them. But they do not require their founder to continue living. Christianity is the only major world religion that is totally dependent upon its founder to be alive. Jesus did not say believe this or believe that, though he did say that. Jesus did not only teach live this way or live that way, though he did teach us how to live. No, Jesus Christ taught clearly that our relationship to God depended upon him remaining alive. In order for Christianity to survive, Jesus must survive the grave. <clears throat> you could not simply elect another man and say, we'll go forward with it. You could not simply say, we're going to elect uh, the new leader for Christianity now, and his name is Jack, and if you accept Jack, you will have eternal life. Not at all. Peter couldn't just step in and become the new Messiah. Not at all. If I could tell you with confidence this morning that Jesus Christ... If I couldn't tell you with confidence this morning that Jesus Christ is in this room and available for you to speak with him, then there would be no point in us being here. There is no gospel. 
There is no good news. Jesus was and is Christianity. So eliminate Jesus and you cut off the head of Christianity and it cannot survive. And his enemies in their minds had killed him. Now life could get back to normal. Corrupt religious leaders and rogue politicians could now rule unopposed. They had conquered the man who said he was God. But the one of the main messages of Easter is that government nor graves can change or conquer God. And furthermore, if the whole world were to band together against Jesus, if all of the crosses in the world were reserved just for him, if all of the nails ever made were driven driven through his precious hands, if all of the thorns in the world were plaited into crowns for his dear brow, If all of the machine guns and artillery from all of the armies were aimed at his head, and if all of the atheists screamed to the top of their lungs that he is a fraud and a fake, they could not cause Almighty God to even stumble. For Jesus said of himself, I am the resurrection and the life. He is God. Jesus is God. So right at the top of the list of things you can't change, write this. I cannot change God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit. God cannot be diminished, defeated, or dismissed. And when he came out of the grave on Easter Sunday, not only did he prove that everything he ever said was right, he also proved that his plans are unstoppable. Because once you have conquered death, sin, and hell, everything else is child's play. We can never stop God. Psalm 46. I love the 10th verse of Psalm 46. You will know it this way. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. A more literal translation is this. Listen to what God says about himself. He says, desist, desist, stop your futile and foolish opposition. Don't you know that I am God? And rather than I will be exalted, the actual Hebrew says, I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. It's no point for you to push back against God. You cannot stop or change God. Nothing can stop Him. God controls the next breath that you're going to take. That blink of your eye, everything that you do, God controls your future. God controls your eternity. He is in control. You can ignore Him, but you can't dismiss Him. You can't dismiss Him. You can take Him to a cross and nail Him there. You can brutalize Him. You can make Him look defeated and deflated. But he'll just get up again. Why did the mob confidently call 
crucify him. Why did the Romans and the Jews decide to take on God? They were suffering from what we could call the Goliath syndrome. The crowd thought because they had the numbers in the mob and the government religious coalition thought because they had the might and the strength to crush 10,000 men who looked just like Jesus Christ, they could do whatever they wanted with him. They were the lion and he was the mouse. They were the Goliath and he was the David. But they couldn't do it. So against that backdrop this morning, let me ask you, Does it make any sense for anybody to resist God? Alex Bradford and Vignette Carroll cooperated in a musical, and I love the title of it. I've never read the book or seen the musical, but it's entitled, Your Arms Are Too Short to Box with God. I love that. And it has a picture on the brochure of a man standing. Uh, Nick, would you stand up here for a minute? of a real man standing and somebody boxing with him and he's holding out like that and his arms doesn't come long enough, look. So he can swing away and all I do is keep my hand on his puny little head and his arms are too short to box with God. Thank you, sir. You've been most auspicious. Arms are too short. He can keep on swinging. And you can swing all you like. You can resist against God. You can push back against God. But it's like putting your shoulder to the proverbial Mount Everest. You can, you can say, I'd like to build a house here. and You put your shoulder to it. And you try and push and push and push. You can't move that mountain. Neither can you move God. Does it make any sense for you to try and ignore him? Does it make any sense for you to sit down at a table and say, let's arm wrestle? If I win, I get my way. If you win, you get yours. Can anybody win that match? Would you then like to try and negotiate with him? Would you ask him for a special deal? Would you like to ask him to change his mind about sin? Would you like to say to him, I know that your son went to Calvary to save me from my sins, but I'd just like to keep on sinning anyway. Can you just forget about it and let me away with it? I don't think so. The resurrection proves that God will always have his way in the end and his word is final. Jesus Christ has clearly set out the only terms on which we can have a relationship with God. Jesus said in John 14 verse 6, and hear the words that he says because they aren't going to change. They are never going to change. Listen to this one sentence from the lips of Jesus. No man comes unto God but By me. Some say that all roads lead to God. You can say that all you want. You can say it till you're blue in the face. PhDs can say it. Ministers can say it. Anybody can say it. Jesus said, there's one road and one redeemer. No one can come to God except through me. Nobody gets to experience the grace of God except through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. 
You can't change that because you can't change anything about God. No good to think you can impress God with your good works, good education, good manners. Forget telling me that you were simply a good neighbor. That will not cut it with God. We need a redeemer because we need to be redeemed. We need a savior because we need to be saved. You see, somebody had to pay for our sins. Remember I said that there are some things you can't change and remember that one of them was your past. You can't go back over one second and do a retake of one millisecond of your life. You can't go back and undo one sinful action. You can't call back one mean word or erase one vile thought and we've all been there in those kinds of actions. You can't change one thing in your past. Not a thing. I can't even unsnap my fingers that I snapped a few moments ago. I can't even undo that. Simple as that. It all hangs there in my past. Charged to my account. You can't change your past. But Jesus can cover your past. You catch that? You can't change your past. But Jesus can cleanse it and cover it. John 1.6 says the blood of Jesus Christ is able to cleanse from all sin. John 1, 9, 1 John 1.9 says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins. Look. Here's why we're still opening these doors after 106 years here in CBS. Here's why the Church of Jesus Christ has not gone out of business after 2,000 years. It's the law of supply and demand. The world needs a supply of grace and Jesus Christ meets that demand. Here's the secret. Jesus has risen from the dead and he's here now. And he can forgive and he can transform your life. We begin talking about change. You can try everything else to change everything and you will remain unchanged. Yeah, well, you can make yourself marginally better by making some better choices. You can eat better, dress better, behave better, even think better. You can work on yourself, but you will always have a consciousness, always. You will never ever reach where you want to be about yourself because you'll always have a consciousness that there's something that you need that you can't provide. And you'll be right. Because while you can solve some of your physical and social problems, you can't of your spiritual problems. 
See, if you can only change your physical and social problems, you're starting on the wrong end of things. These are cosmetic changes. These are only surface changes. They are outside changes when what we really need is a change on the inside. Some of you here today will say, I have no idea what you're talking about. But others here today will say, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm that person who come to the point where I discover I need a change on the inside. I've discovered I cannot help myself. No, you were never meant to help yourself. For that, you will need to go into dry dock. For those kinds of fixes, you will need to go back to the manufacturer, who is Almighty God, our Creator. What did the prayer say? God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. Can I make a further modification? Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know what only God can change. And the courage to allow Jesus to do it. And if you want to know the power of God, you have to come through Jesus Christ. And you'll be cleansed of your sins and God will give you the power to live a joyful, peaceful life both now and into eternity. And I have to tell you that Christianity and this very message of the cross is sweeping the globe. Do you know that? Do you understand that Christianity is the most popular message out there today? That some 2.3 billion people embrace the truths of Christianity and that people are being changed daily? Do you know that the estimate is somewhere between 75 and 100,000 people come to Jesus Christ every single day? Do you know that Indonesia, for example, has grown from 1.3 million 40 years ago to 11 million Christians today? Every day in Africa, 20,000 Africans come to Christ. Africa in 1900, 3% were Christians, and today 50% are Christians. Do you know in 1900, Korea had no Protestant church, and the country was deemed impossible to penetrate. Today, Korea is 30% Christian, with 7,000 churches in Seoul alone. Do you know that there are currently 60 to 80 million Christians in China today, with over 10,000 converts every single day? These are men, women, boys and girls who've come to the end of themselves. They've come to the conclusion, and correctly so, that outside of allowing Christ to transform our lives, nothing else works for this life or the next. Jesus came for two reasons. To wash away our sins. And the second reason is to help us live meaningful, hope-filled, peaceful lives right here and now. And though you may not understand it all, and by the way, nobody understands it all. That is why God sent Jesus to die and rise again. And I have news for you this morning. Jesus Christ is alive. And he's here. And he's open for business right now, right this minute. 
one of my most favorite ads of all time was first filmed in 1983, and I love this ad. I would say Barb even knows which one I'm talking about because I've spoken of it so many times. I just love, love what happens in this ad. It just gives me a warm feeling every time I see it. And, and just, just, for, uh, just for accuracy's sake, I went back and watched it on YouTube. I hope you'll go home and look it up. It's the ad from the Del Monte Corporation. And in the original ad in 1983, it films this this farmer standing in his orange grove with his family in his estate and all of his workers around. And then down the long, winding, dusty road leading to this orange grove comes this black, impressive car being driven by a chauffeur. And in the back seat, you see the camera flash to a man who's from the Del Monte Corporation. And he's sitting there and and they're talking about overlaid over this is the voice of them saying that they only have the choice oranges for the Del Monte orange juice. Only the best will do for Del Monte. And he's driving into this place and this... The bell, suddenly the guy, one of the servants up in the tower begins to ring the bell because the man from Del Monte is coming to to test the fruit of this orchard. And he gets in and he gets out of his car dressed in a resplendent white suit and out comes the owner and on a tray that he's prepared he has a jug of orange juice from uh, freshly squeezed oranges from his orchard. And he's poured a glass already. And the music dies down now and the suspense builds. And he offers the glass to the man from Del Monte. And the man picks up the glass. And your heart's pounding because if he says no, trouble. He takes a sip. Slowly puts the glass back down. And a smile comes on his face and he just nods. And the man takes the tray with the glass and the pitcher on it and he throws it back over his head. Everything is gone. And he puts his hands up and he runs out to the fields and to his workers. And he says, man from Del Monte, he say yes. He say yes. The Salvation Army songbook has a song. It sets up a scene. And the writer asks, if I ask him to receive me, will he say me nay? It's of somebody coming to Christ and wondering, will he accept me? It's like the prodigal son suddenly returning home and wondering if the father will accept him again into the fold. And he's standing there and, 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 and almost, almost in agony. Will he say me nay? And do you know what the message of Easter is? Men from heaven, he said yes. He was saying yes when he stepped out of the portals of glory and became a little baby in a peasant girl in Bethlehem. He was saying yes when he 
was rejected by his own and ostracized and treated as a common criminal. He was saying yes when they planted the thorn of crowns on his head and pushed it on until the blood trickled down his face. He was saying yes when they spit upon him and they mockingly put a purple robe upon him. He was saying yes when they took him and nailed him to the cross. And he was saying yes right to the very last minute when he said it is finished. And for three days his voice was silent. And you wait with bated breath and say, oh my goodness. And on the third day he rose and came and stood up on a stone and said, yes to the world. Man from heaven, he say yes. And he's saying yes to you this morning. He's saying yes to you. And are you saying yes to him? He offers you a transformed life this morning. The same Jesus is here. He's open for business. We're going to sing a chorus together. It's an old one. To thy cross I come, Lord. There for me is room, Lord. Because it says everything that I wanted to say. Pardon every sin, Lord. Place thy power within, Lord. And I from this hour will follow you. Are you interested this morning? There's no point in resisting it. The gospel is not going to change. going to get a better deal than the church down the road because if they're preaching from this book it's the same gospel you're not going to get a bargain basement deal somewhere that you're going to be the one that gets the special deal you're not I'm not chicken sometimes when it comes to getting into cold water. Barb will tell you that. She'll go and dive right in. You know what she always says? Oh Lord, come on. Come on in. The water's fine. I want to say the same thing to you this morning. I've been a Christian for 40 years. And it's my privilege to tell you this morning, come on in. The water's fine. I love being a I love being a Christian. I have way more fun being a Christian than I did before I was a Christian. I love being a Christian. I enjoy it. I don't have to go out and judge somebody and say, "Oh, you're not going to heaven. You're 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 going to hell." I don't have to do any of that. That's all looked after. Management takes care of that. I don't have to be responsible 
for anything. I just say, get up every day and say, Lord, my life's in your hands. You want to get a message through to me? You got my mind. You let me know what you want me to do today and I'll do it. And if he says, go do something, well, then I, I do what he tells me to do and I leave the results up to him. I got it made. If I end up in a life-threatening situation where my life is threatened, I'm like young Riley, who said when he was 15 years of age, God loved that little man. He said, you know what? I can't lose. Either said, I live on and, and I'm here with mom and dad, or he said, I go up to, uh, up to heaven. I die, I go to heaven and be with Jesus and my sister. He said, I got it made, so I can't lose. Me too. It's great. If you think that I'm a Christian and I'm doing it because I'm getting paid, somebody said to, uh, one minister said to one of his people, he said, I get paid to be good, but he said, you got to be good for nothing. That's not right. I'm not doing this because I get paid. My pay, my pay is the joy that I feel every day in knowing that no matter what happens today, God and I are in it together. everything. You can't pry your way out of everything. I'm glad I have Jesus. To thy cross I come, Lord. It's the only way. There for me is room, Lord. And here's the phrase you need to... I gotta, I gotta give you the words. Pardon every sin, Lord. Place thy power within, Lord. That's it. That's what, that's what you say to him. Say, I didn't know what to say. Start there. That's it. Don't let anybody else add anything to it. Throw it out. Don't let them say, well, you got to put on a uniform. You got to give a lot of money. You got to go to church six times a week. You got to know your Bible in Hebrew and Greek. You got to do this now, and you got to do that then. You got to clap your hand. Don't let anybody add anything to the gospel. Anything added to the gospel ends up being a subtraction from the gospel. Pardon every sin, Lord. Place thy power within, Lord. And then the third part is true. And I from this hour will follow thee. That's the perfect course, isn't it? Let's stand and sing. To thy 